You're listening to Good Lad Unscripted with your host. <laughs> Welcome back to Good Lad Unscripted, the podcast. I'm Terry Goodlad, your host. Today I have, uh, do we call you a guest or a co-host? <laughs> Whatever you like. <laughs> Whatever I like. <laughs> I have uh, a very dear friend, uh, a guest, and I guess my co-host, Kimmy Couture. Now, if you follow mixed martial arts, the fight world, uh, and if you follow the women's side of the sport, and even if you don't follow the women's side, I think you'd have to be under a rock for a long time. If you were ever followed MMA and didn't know who Kimmy Couture was, I think you probably didn't follow MMA, right? If you're into dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> really hot dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, just to get some background, Kimmy, we, uh, we met uh, at the, you were at one time married to Randy Couture, a UFC fighter and a legend in that sport. Uh, you guys opened up a gym in Las Vegas here in 2006. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then shortly after you guys opened, I started training there. And of course we met and ended up being friends and, and like that. And then uh, I know you trained for MMA for some time before that. And then you had your first fight and then went on to, you had a, you said two amateur fights mm -hmm. and then 12 professional fights. Is yes. that right? Mm -hmm. So we want to talk about about that and then we also want to talk about life before mma because you're doing some crazy stuff now that's unbelievable some international big business deals mm -hmm. and uh and it's just like um and you're a very low-key person so i think it takes some people by surprise when they find out what you're doing but how you got all those relationships but i want to go back to the mma stuff you're a beautiful girl uh, back when you started in MMA, there really weren't a lot of women in the sport at that time. You know, uh, Dana White made his famous uh, declaration that women would never fight in the UFC. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and at the time, uh, there was no, uh, there, there were no women in the UFC. Right. And so, uh, but you got into the sport anyway. Now, how many, do you remember how many fighters there were at that time? Pro fighters, pro women fighters? Um, at the time that I got in, the only ones that I remember were maybe four. There was Gina Carano, yep. Elena Maxwell, uh, Shayna Baszler, and um, uh, who else? Brazilian girl. Yeah, there was a couple more that I, I had. They weren't really televised, so nobody really right. knew who they were. Tara LaRosa, um, Bodog was the only organization back in the day that used to put women on. Um, but you had to really be looking for it to know where to watch it at. You know? Right. And it was kind of a thing, I think, I think initially, uh, you know, cause I was around the sport at that time and, and it was kind of, uh, it, it, it was like women weren't really going to make the cut. They weren't going to be good fighters. They weren't going to be entertaining fights. Yeah. Nobody took them seriously. And even like I was telling you earlier, uh, uh, Layla Ali wasn't even televised, right. you know, so women were really having a hard time getting themselves on a platform to be noticed right. or accepted. Yeah. Taken and, seriously. And, and the irony was, is, is when the women started fighting, people started noticing those were some of the most entertaining fights. I, I've always said this, that, you know, when you, when you look at the pro ranks and when you start getting up there, when you're into the UFC and especially the actual pay-per-view fights, uh, a lot of times fighters are fighting not to lose mm -hmm. rather than win. And I don't think I've ever seen two women fight in MMA where they took that approach. They, it, it seems like they always show up to win. 
Well, there's been a couple that were kind of snoozers, but for the most part, they put on the best fights. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, just the most entertaining nonstop action. And it's almost like like, there's this true hatred there. Like you can see this, you know, something there, right? I don't believe it's hatred. I believe that women still innately have that um, feeling that they have to prove themselves. They have to deliver, you know. Is that how you felt when you fought? No. I being, was in, being new into the sport, into a relatively new sport, trying to get recognized, you're one of the pioneers. Uh, and also, you're a very smart girl. So you understand that it is showbiz mm -hmm. and that uh, you have to put on an entertaining fight if you want to progress as a pro. Mm -hmm. And also, if you want to progress just for the sport to progress. As the sport progresses, there's bigger purses, you know, greater opportunities, things like that. Was that ever in the back of your mind in a fight or were you just going in and fighting? Oh, no, I was there to fight. I never worried about the entertainment. I knew that that would deliver. I think I got fight of the night on every fight that I had. Um, people knew that when I showed up and it was going to be a bloodbath, like it was, <laughs> it was going to be a war. Nobody was getting out of there in one piece. Um, but you're there to fight. You know, there's some people that go in there, like you said, that, that want their, their, um, their fight padded, you know, they want an easy fight. They right. want to get their record padded. And I was never one of those people. The first couple fights I had, I was the promoter. I set up pretty hard opponents for me <laughs> that I, I even lost to um, because I never looked for an easy fight. I always signed up for the, the fights with girls that nobody else wanted to fight. Girls that were more experienced than me didn't want to fight these girls that came in with pretty incredible backgrounds. So mm -hmm. I didn't care. I was there to the fight. I was, I was in a war with myself. You know, I was there for, for nobody else. It was my own little, little battle going on. Let's talk about that. Uh, now I want to preface this first of all, is that you didn't win every fight. Mm -hmm. Uh, your fights were always entertaining. Some of them were vicious, vicious <laughs> fights. Uh, there was, I mean, you've, you've broken, I remember the fight where you broke your job, like right at the beginning of the fight and still went the whole, the distance in that fight. And mm -hmm. uh, so these were always very, uh, from a fight perspective, uh, uh, entertaining fights. From a guy's perspective, I remember then because you were my friend, I saw you every day at the gym and, and I'd see this and I'd go, oh man, like it's just easier for an old fashioned guy like me, I'm 61 to see a guy get, you know, beat, you know, be not beaten up at a fight, but it's really hard to watch a woman that happened to a woman and when it's your friend. And so I remember telling, <laughs> I remember saying something one day and I said it and it just made perfect sense to me until the words came out of my mouth. And it was, it was, I, I guess you could call it a sexist statement, but it was just like, I like, I felt bad for you because you know, you got pretty banged up in that one fight and, and, uh, and it was just like, Oh, you know, and you looked at me like I was crazy, right? Did that ever occur to you? Did that, that gender norm as a fighter, does it exist? Did it exist? I mean, I think there was a lot of uh, outside perspectives going on and coming at me and, and people had their opinion. A lot of people didn't think I belonged in there. A lot of people thought I was just in there because I was married to Randy. People didn't realize that I was training in the sport long before I even met him. Um, there was a lot of unfair judgment going on. Um, I really didn't care. I'm really not phased by that. I was in there, mm -hmm. like I said, a, a battle in my own head and my own heart. And they always say, uh, you never really know yourself until you put yourself in a situation like that where mm -hmm. you have to fight and, and dig deep and see what you're really made of. And somehow the sport fixed everything in my life, you know, from old wounds and trauma and, and different emotions. It kind of put you in a, per, in a different perspective where 
things that aren't that big of a deal really aren't that big of a deal anymore, where maybe you were focused too much on them before. Mm-hmm. It kind of straightens yourself out. And, and I wasn't in there. Of course, you want to win, but I wasn't in there to win or lose to prove myself to anybody. I was there to survive what I was going through. And, uh, and a lot of those, after my divorce, a lot of those fights, I don't even remember. You know, talking with Elaine, there's different events that we went to before and after a fight or even during a fight. And people will tell me, oh, I went to your fight in Tampa with you. I don't even remember. Really? That, that period of time after my divorce, I was like in a cloud. I don't remember even being there you're talking about your divorce uh, you and randy divorced Mm -hmm. and it was a very public divorce especially in the mma world uh everybody um you know i got in trouble for sticking up for you (laughs) (laughs) and my point is you know you can't stick your nose in somebody else's business the problem when when anybody goes through a a breakup uh that's their business Mm -hmm. but everybody wants to pick a side and really you shouldn't because it's it's two people and it's never one person's fault. There's always, it's a complex issue. And at the end of the day, you want to support both, especially if they're both your friends. And I knew you and Randy, you know, I saw you guys almost every day. And, and so for me, it was, uh, you know, why, you know, how can you be in this gym uh, even working for Kimmy, because you basically ran the gym, mm-hmm. and then be saying the stuff you're saying. Right. You know, and so I had an issue with that, and that created lots of problems for me, but uh, it was just a popular thing to pile on Kimmy and beat her up back then. Yeah, what, what sucked is that it was it's hard to go through a divorce when you're not in the public eye. It's a thousand times harder when everybody's looking at you, and, and everybody loved us as a couple. You know, we were right. everybody's favorite couple. We did so much for so many people, and we got along really great, which is what hurt me so bad because I thought everything was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um and then having all eyes on you, you feel like you're under a microscope. And what was that experience like? Um, like on a day to day, getting up and like, oh God, I got to go to the gym or I got to go to this fight or I got to go to this event. It was painful. It was the, probably one of the most painful things I've ever gone through. I was crushed and just completely annihilated by this coming out of left field. And, um, you know, you just go through the motions. Like I said, I think I blocked it all out because I don't remember a good chunk of all those years after it you know i (laughs) i was training for fights and fighting on national television i don't even remember being there so um it was hard it was hard doing everything that i did for everybody in that gym that were my family and me and randy got through the divorce fine it was everybody else Mm -hmm. that had to (laughs) put themselves in a position to pick a side and felt obligated to lash out or talk bad or get involved or I'm not sure why it's, it it was pretty much a mirror that everybody had to look in and it was a reflection of themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, like how would they respond? How would they feel? What what would they do if they were in Randy's shoes? What would they do if they were in my shoes? And they'd react to that. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, me and Randy were getting through things just fine as cordial friends to each other. There was no bashing or neither one of us spoke out badly against each other. We just got through it and it made people in the gym so uncomfortable. That was the irony is is that, uh, you know, I've been through, you know, I've got a handful of divorces under my belt. So I I know what it's like. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, I've been through that before and I've been on the other side of that. You know, when Elaine and I divorced, Elaine was a very popular celebrity in the fitness industry. And so, you know, and Elaine's beautiful. So right away, you know, Terry's got to be the jerk, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Elaine and I are like brother and sister. We put all of our stuff behind us years ago mm-hmm. and there's still people that... That can't handle it. No, no, because either they want us to hate each other. Right. 
you know, I never saw the wisdom in that, you know, paying some lawyer thousands of dollars to fight over a couch, it right. made no sense to me. Right. And the other thing was, is at one point in time, I loved this person, things didn't work out, you know, so can you do it in a respectful way? And so mm -hmm. I've always approached it that way. And, and I saw you guys, and that's the thing. I never heard you ever say anything bad about Randy. Never heard Randy say ever say anything bad about you. But mm -hmm. everybody around you guys, yeah, they couldn't handle it. It was it was unbelievable. It got so uncomfortable that I finally had to leave the gym because my reason for building the gym was to, for people to have a place to come and focus and train and get better. And it was causing a lot of friction. And I just, I told Randy, you know, I'm, I'm going to move on because it's, it's now becoming uncomfortable for me. And all right. of a sudden everybody's, because he was the celebrity, they're looking at me like I must be the bad person. Right. And even, even when he would stick up for me, people just could not handle it. It's so yeah. weird to me to go through that whole thing where I'm like, how is this even affecting you guys? You know, like, why is understand. this any of your business? Exactly. It's so <laughs> bizarre. And what's crazy is a handful of those guys were my friends before any of us even met Randy. Right. They were my best friends. I hung out with them five days a week. And all of a sudden, you know, they're so worried about standing in Randy's sunshine that they acted like they didn't even know who I was when yeah. I managed them for six years, built everything for them. You know, the guys wanted lockers. I got lockers the next day. You know, they needed a sponsor. I did all their sponsorship. Anything they needed, I did that for them. They needed help getting a house. I'd go I, help them get I a house. I remember that time, and I remember being in the gym at that time. And and I left shortly after, too, because it just wasn't, it wasn't about training going in there anymore. It, it was, was about like gossip this, scene. It was, yeah, it was this whole other thing. And, and uh, uh, but I remember being in there and I remember, you know, Randy was getting into the movies at that time and everybody wanted to be a movie star. And mm -hmm. so they figured if they get really, really tight with him that somehow, you know, so here I know I'll bash Kimmy because that'll yeah. get me on Randy's good books. And it was just such a weak thing. And it was something I really didn't expect from some of the people that were doing that. Right. Uh, because I thought they, you know, had a little bit more going on, but. Uh, well, and it's funny because all of them did expect to get a few crumbs dropped down from, from him and none of them did. Mm -hmm. And so I think three years later. Well, you got to make it on your own, right? right? It's just like in the fight world, you know, somebody can, what, I can get you a fight, but you, you still got to fight, right? right? Well, I think it was a few years later where I ran into some of those guys at, uh, at an amateur fight here in town and they came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around about had a heart attack um, because of what they had done to me. And they all issued me an apology and gave me a big hug and I wow. kind of had a little emotional breakdown in the middle of this fight because, uh, number one, I wasn't expecting it. Number two, the fact that they actually came around and admit that they yeah. they were wrong, you know. Yeah. It meant a lot. That's good. That that that's that's huge. I mean, we can all make mistakes, but if you can be man enough to come and, you know. Well, here's the thing. I've never been anything but kind and helpful to everyone. Mm -hmm. So when you go around bashing someone for absolutely no reason, and then you realize like they really didn't deserve that, that's more on their conscience, not mine, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, I want to go back now and talk about you know you talked about um, the fights. You had one fight. Who was it when you when you had your jaw broken? Who was that with? Uh, Kim Rose. Okay. Now, basically, you guys, you know, the fight started. You guys go to meet in the middle. You took a shot <laughs> and broke your jaw. Did you know it was broken when she... Because that you, you continued with the fight. It was uh, three rounds after that, right? Was that right? Or was it two mm -hmm. rounds? Well, let me back up a little bit. So girls had always been fighting um, three three-minute rounds. Mm -hmm. So I actually lobbied, was the biggest lobbyer here in town with the commission, to get that changed to the same as the guys, which was three five-minute rounds. Mm -hmm. And I pushed and pushed and pushed, and finally they said, okay, we'll let girls fight three five-minute rounds. Well, my fight was the first one that was three five-minute rounds. <laughs> and I was the promoter of that show. So it was at the Thomas and Mac. We had 14,000 people there. And uh, I was the co I put myself as a co-main event. And Kim Rose was the 
she had won in um, uh, Tough Enough. Mm -hmm. So I knew she was a good fighter. I never tried to set up an easy fight for me. I was like, this will be a good match. She actually had more fights than me because it was only my, um, let's see, third time getting in there, two amateurs, and this was my pro debut. And... Yeah, I guess in the beginning, I was a little slow. I was a slow starter. You know, I guess you, you go in when you're new and you don't really know what to expect. So mm -hmm. I go out thinking I'm going to touch gloves. And she just came in with a strong overhand right. And uh, first punch broke my jaw in half in the front and then up by my right ear. And, did you uh, know it was broken? I did not know it was broke. I thought I actually lost a couple teeth. It felt like she knocked my four front teeth out. Um, I actually would catch myself looking at the mat going, oh, my God, where are my teeth? Like, if I see them, am I going to pick them up? Like, what, what do I do? What do you do? If it's a finger, pick it up. Teeth, leave them there, right? Well, I just, I, I kept thinking, like, what if I step on it? What if I, what if I lose it for dumb things to go on your head, you know? And uh, so at the, the end of the first round, I kept telling Randy, I go, I think I lost my teeth. I lost my teeth. I, I'm missing teeth because I could stick my tongue all the way through oh. and push it out and it didn't hit any teeth on the way out. And he goes, you didn't lose any teeth. I go, yes, I did. He goes, you got all your teeth. I go, I don't understand. So I go back out the second round. He goes, listen, you don't have much time left. You need to win in this round. You're mm -hmm. not going to gonna last another round after this. So second round, you know. Were you I, bleeding heavily at this point? Oh, it was probably one of the bloodiest girl fights still to this day. It was pretty, pretty nasty. Um, and I think it was going into the third round where I realized it was broken broken because the whole chunk between the middle and my right ear would just move around and float around in my mouth i had to keep pushing my jaw out of my way with my tongue my mouthpiece like it, it was just the, the most it hurt um no because your adrenaline's so high you don't really feel anything you just feel confused because there's this bone this thing floating around in my mouth and you're trying to keep that out of the way uh, the funniest part is I, I i took her down with a judo throw and i i'm trying to get this choke and the way that you have to place your arms up against your chin, your cheek to, to secure the lock. And I hear some guy in the front row going, clear your head, clear your head. And I'm thinking, no kidding. Thank you. <laughs> but every time I would try to squeeze and go to clear my head, my whole jaw would move over like an old fashioned typewriter. It oh was just gosh. like shifting around. So I couldn't get anything tight and secure in order to clear my head. Like I'm, it, it was just weird. And, and weird things stood out to me in that fight more than any other fight. Like what? Like hearing the guy in the front row telling me how to clear, <laughs> clear my <your> head, head. <laughs> you know, my corner and, and uh, one of the other coaches, my boxing coach was telling Randy, he goes, her jaws broke. Her jaws broke. Randy's like, I know. Shh. shh. <laughs> I was like, I can hear you guys. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> I can hear you. But he kept asking me, he's like, are you fine? I'm like, I'm fine. I, I've got plenty other tools in my tool belt. Boxing was not going to be my thing that night. My equilibrium was turned upside down. I was dizzy. You know, I could, I had no depth perception. So I would think I was seeing a punch coming. And before you knew it, it was hitting me. I couldn't move. I was just in la la land. But there, that's the great thing about MMA. There's so many things in your tool belt that you can go to plan B, plan C, plan D and, and pull out something else to hopefully win the fight with. Did you ever consider throwing in the towel? No. Oh my gosh. And did it ever cross your mind? Never. And did, did Randy ever suggest it? No, he knows me. How about your boxing he, coach? Was it Ron? No, no, it was Chris. Uh, he, uh, 
knew that if he would have thrown in the towel, I would have killed him. Right. And he got interviewed and drilled and got a lot of flack on because not throwing that. in the towel because of this. And he goes, listen, I know her very well. She mm-hmm. can handle a lot. And if I would have thrown in the towel, she would have killed me <laughs> out in the middle of that cage that day. <laughs> because here's the thing. Um, I think my, th- my pain threshold is a little bit stronger than most people's. And I had to make a statement because I was lobbying to get that change from three three minute rounds to three five minute rounds. So I'll be damned if I'm not going to fight for fifteen minutes. Right. You know, I could have had an arm completely ripped off, and I would have, as long as I didn't bleed out, I would have kept. Going. And I think most women I know would probably process it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm being sarcastic because I don't know anybody <laughs> would process it that way. If my jaw was broken, I think. Well, I was the promoter too, so I wanted a good card. Mm-hmm. It was televised. I just did a TV deal with HDNet. You I'm know, laughing my head off right now. <laughs> yeah, the thing with the with the Thomas and Mac, like I really wanted to deliver. I wanted to prove to the to the haters, to the commission, like we got this, we can do this, and you know, it didn't work out in my favor that way but it went to decision you know i never quit and so what made you that tough kimmy it didn't happen in mma did it <laughs> uh well that helped but uh i think growing up on the ranch middle of nowhere mm-hmm. in colorado mm-hmm. definitely growing up on what a was that ranch kind of put us there what was that like i mean you guys were in a pretty remote place right yeah i mean i, I when we when i went to school we ended up moving to pueblo which is right below colorado springs in a, in a bigger city but we grew up on a ranch in the middle of the rockies on the southeastern slope of the rockies um, both my grandparents had very, very large ranches. So I'd bounce back and forth between both grandparents' house. And um, uh, I think our closest neighbor was like 26 miles away. And, you know, it was a lot of chores and no TV, no radio, no And if people. you get hurt out there, you got to figure it out on your yeah, own. Yeah, no hospitals, no no convenience stores, no nothing. I mean, we had to drive 26 miles no to, calling the, to go do laundry, you know, unless we washed it in the river. Like it was like a little house on the prairie. And my parents were young and they were still in college and had full-time jobs. So they weren't there most of the time. And I was just running on the ranch by myself. My grandparents were there somewhere. My grandma never left the house and my grandpa was out, you know, ranching all day. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of on my own, very close with animals still to this day because Mm -hmm. it was me and my animals. Those those were my homies. So um, now there was a, a day I know you uh, fell off a horse. The horse fell on you. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I that was one of many severe injuries that I had. You grow up on in that lifestyle, and it's every other day you have something crazy happen. Um, that was later on. Um, I think uh, we had already moved to Pueblo. Um, I was in eighth grade at the time, and a thunderstorm came through Colorado. Colorado's the only state you can get all four seasons in one day. So (laughs) it went from beautiful, we're outside roping in the arena at our house, to thunderstorms, and it it filled up with mud quickly, and we had to move the cattle and put them away, and you know, we, I went to turn the corner quick, and we slipped in some manure, of all Mm. things, and um, he fell on me. And crushed my right leg, my knee, uh, broke my sternum, knocked me out. When horses go to get up, they throw their head back and they roll to try and get up. Well, mm-hmm. every time he'd go to get up, I'd squeeze onto him because he would go to lift and that pressure on my leg was just ready to explode, right? And um, <clears throat> when I came to and he's trying to get up, he knocked me out. I got the saddle horn right between my, right under my chest. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was pretty crazy. And then I still had to get up catch the horse, get the steers and go unsaddle the horse, put the horse away. And I'm hopping on one leg, you know, and bleeding. Uh, yeah, I mean, my nose was bleeding. My ear was bleeding. My mouth was bleeding. Um, and my dad's like, hurry up, you know, (laughs) get that horse in there. Put those steers away. It's raining. I'm like, no kidding. (laughs) Really? 
Um, so yeah, and then I go in the house and my mom's trying to pull my boot off as I'm hopping all the way in there. And I'm like, please don't pull this off. Get something to cut it with. She goes, I can't cut a leather boot. So she's pulling and pulling. And it's, of course, as soon as she pulls it off, my leg just explodes and it's already turning black. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they waited a few days before they took me to the hospital on that one. So I just kind of, my whole life kind of had to, <laughs> I wasn't raised for one of those kids that's allowed to cry. So you get to a place where you kind of, compartmentalize that pain and mm-hmm. don't think about it kind of shut it out and so bounce over to mma now pre-fight everybody is always nervous mm-hmm. right uh would you use the word fear fearful prior no. to a fight no i'd never get fearful and Rand, the one thing that randy who was very good at is visual, visualization and preparing you mentally for what you're going to experience so mm-hmm. you always go into a fight with a lot of excitement you're there by choice um You've already put all the hard work in, uh, as he would say, the haze in the barn. So you're there, and that's showtime. You know, that's the fun part of everything that you just went through in an eight to 10 week camp. You're getting your butt kicked every day by big guys, you know, when I'm the smallest little girl in a pro practice. Well, that was the thing at the at practice there. It was kind of like being on the farm. There's no mercy, mm-hmm. uh, but there, I, I don't remember there being any other females there. Gina Carano for Gina, a while. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have there. some other girls come in and out, Elena Maxwell. Um, uh, but your day to day, your yeah. sparring, all your rolling, all that kind of stuff, all that full speed stuff was all with guys, wasn't mm-hmm. it mostly? Oh yeah. So coming to a fight, I'm looking at another girl like, what is she going to do to me? Did you they know? go easy on you? No. In fact, I think Randy probably went the hardest on me. You know, he didn't hold back as far as ramming me into the cage and picking me up, slamming me on my head, you know, and punch me in the face when I land. It was, you know, I, I can only think of two times where I had to walk off the mat and go in the bathroom and cry by myself because it was pretty painful and, and certain things kind of hurt my feelings because I'm like, I feel like he's going harder on me than everybody else. <laughs> but he was, you know, he wanted to tough, toughen me up. He knew that I could to handle it you. and he wanted to prepare me. You know, yeah. some people would sit on the bleachers and go, should we call 911? <laughs> <laughs> it's a spousal abuse, <laughs> domestic violence. But honestly, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I wasn't phased by anything a girl's going to do. You know? Right. Not to be sexist myself, but honestly, when you're dealing you with- You sounded like me for a minute. I there. know. <laughs> when you're dealing with, you know, 220 pounds as opposed right. to another girl that's 135, I mean, what's she yeah. going to do, you yeah. know, that I haven't seen already? Yep. Yeah. So uh, now you had, you had a- you had a dozen pro fights. Mm-hmm. Um, your record, you were somewhere down the middle, right? You mm-hmm. split it pretty much win losses about the same. Yeah. Uh, you talked about it earlier that you really didn't go, you were just there fighting. Did you ever consider your record? Did that ever come into play? Uh, you kind of had a different situation, I think, than most fighters in that you've, you've always had some sort of a business venture going mm-hmm. or something going. Uh, right now you own, uh, you know, your a partner in a CBD company. Uh, you broker these huge international deals, and we'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a second. Uh, but you, you, uh, you've always had something else on the side, so you didn't have to. You weren't fighting to keep food on the table mm-hmm. or, or 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 build a future or get a movie career. All right. You were just fighting for the sake of fighting. Is that right? right? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> like I said, everybody has a past. So, how important was winning? Um, it wasn't my everything. I mean, of course I went in there with the intentions of winning, but I didn't put so much pressure on me and I really didn't care what anybody else had to say. I was there to prove to myself that I was tough enough to get through anything that I could, um, don't you think you did that growing up on the ranch? Um, I think a lot of what I went through growing up and, and ranch life is what I needed to 
uh, cure. Get past. Get past. There's a lot of uh, stuff there that I needed to kind of shake out. And there was no other way that was working for me to kind of get over a lot of things. So, like I said, I'd go into battle and, and go into practice, and I had to prove to myself, like, you are good enough. You are strong enough. You can do this. And uh, you go in there with every intention of winning, but it wasn't like – you know, Randy always said too, he's like, if you lose a fight, if the worst thing that ever happens to you is you lose a fight, you're still doing pretty good. Right. You know, so that wasn't my everything, my focus. I'm not one of these, um, I'm competitive, but not in a sense where it's all about me and my feelings and my win and my record is the only thing that matters. It's such a small, minute part of a little chapter in my life that um, the takeaway was, you know, I went in there and I worked hard and I got after it and I took some very hard fights and I proved to myself you can get through anything and you can shake off anything and you can get over humps that you went through in your past and, and come out the other side. It's all about going into battle, that fight or flight mm -hmm. feeling and uh, proving to yourself that you're going to show up. Mm -hmm. And like I said, with having pretty much every fight I had be fight of the night, I, I showed up, you know, and uh, it wasn't for anybody else's entertainment, even though that was important for me too. Um, it's just, it, it healed everything in me. It totally fixed me. I feel like everybody in their lifetime should go get in a fight on purpose. <laughs> get punched in the face on purpose. It fixes things. Uh, when you left, do you, do you wish you, did you leave on your terms? Did you re retire from the sport on your terms? You know, I never looked at it as, uh, this is the thing that people get mistaken. I never looked at it as a, a focus of something big in my life even though a lot of people like to talk about, oh, your fight life. Like I said, it's such a small- I think it's a very visible life. Yeah. You know, you're a very visible person, right? And so, of course, they're going to, you know, I, I think anybody else that doesn't know you, they're going to see that that's the, they're going to think that's the biggest thing in your life. And now that's gone, that you're missing something, there's a mm -hmm. void. Uh, you know, people that know you know that there's a whole lot more going on there. And right. that was just something you did, right? For that period of time. I look at it as like, it was a small little period in my life that it was the best therapy that you could ever go through. It was like people go and see a therapist while I went and fought in a cage. And um, although I miss it, and it was very exciting, it's quite an adrenaline rush that can't be matched by really anything else. It's the most alive feeling you'll ever have. Um, it was just a little therapy session for me to work on myself. Um, I still coach. I still train periodically. Not like I used to. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't... Some people that I see in the sport, it's everything. They live, breathe, sleep, and eat it. It's just, they, it's their whole identity. Right. It was never my identity. And um, like I said, people tend to look at other people it, through their own rose-colored glasses, you know? So they're like, well, this is how I would feel. This is how mm -hmm. I would market myself. This is how I would walk around if I would have done all this stuff or if I was married to Randy Couture. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you want to trade? <laughs> I never looked at things that way, right. you know? I'm pretty good at uh, self-analyzing what's wrong with me constantly. Mm -hmm. And how could I fix this? How could I get better? How could I be stronger? How could I be less emotional and think more logically through this and really heal myself from things. And, you know, I've always had a lot going on and that was the best therapy and uh, probably the cheapest that I could have ever gotten. Where are you at with the therapy now? Um, I, I never had real therapy per no, se. No, I mean, where are you at with your... Oh, I feel like it healed... It felt like it healed everything. I mean, every girl, right, is somewhat emotional. We're kind of programmed that way. And so I guess 
through my teens and 20s, I had a lot of emotions I didn't know what to do with, good and bad, and, and mm -hmm. high. I'm always, I used to be very high adrenaline. I loved the rat race, and it just slowed me down and calmed me down. I'm very smooth sailing now. Mm -hmm. So, and there isn't anything anybody could say, do, or could happen to me that would even phase me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so, I honestly think it was uh, the greatest therapy you could ever get. <laughs> now, between Colorado and ranching and rolling around in a cage with guys, girls, whoever wanted to fight, there was a whole other life there. And, and this is the one that uh, I think when I look at you, that's the hardest one for me to envision, envision is you being, uh, you work for Steve Wynn. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're familiar with Las Vegas, you know the Wynn Hotel. And Steve Wynn is, you know, a legend in Las Vegas and one of the guys that built Las Vegas, mm -hmm. I guess, initially, right? And made it right. into what it is today. You were, uh, were you his executive assistant? What was your position with him? No. Um so when I, let's back up a little bit. When I first moved out here, I was a cop in Colorado. I worked for the sheriff's department out there um, for just for three years, very short-lived. Um, I got an offer out here. My aunt lives here, and I got an offer. I met all the guys that were building Mandalay Bay. So I get an offer to come out and work for them. They didn't even know what position they wanted for. They just know that they wanted me out here. And I'm, you know, looking through their jobs that were available. I'm looking at security, surveillance, and they're like, no, 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 no. We want you front of the house. So they put me in charge of food and beverage, which I – didn't even drink at the time. I was 23 years old, never even drank. Um, I'm like, uh, uh, okay. And they're like, listen, you have the personality, you're strong-willed, we could teach you everything else. So I moved out here in 99 before the building even, before Mandalay even opened. And I worked for them for a year. And then Steve Wynn stole me and he took me over to Bellagio and I was a food and beverage manager over there for a year. And then he took me aside and he goes, I think you're better suited and from everybody I talked to for marketing. Well, I didn't go to college. I didn't know anything about marketing, so I thought. And so he goes, I'm going to send you down to the Golden Nugget. I want you to learn everything about the credit department. I want you to work under this person. He's going down there as a the president, and we're going to groom you to be an executive for me. Well, I went down there, soaked it all up like a sponge, and got promoted to executive three months later. So I worked at the Nugget for about three and a half years, uh, doing credit, signing up all the credit lines issuing the casinos money, which is a very um, cool job and comes with a lot of respect. You know, you're, you've got the ability to give out the casinos money. So you got to be really careful and he's got to really trust you to put you in that position. So yeah. I think I was the youngest person ever put in that back then, wow. put in that job. And then when he was building Wynn, um, he signed me up to work over there a year and a half before the building was even done because I just sat in a small room. They had other offices off property just setting up everybody's credit line because when he sold all his other casinos, he couldn't transfer anybody. So we had to start everybody from scratch, brand new applications wow. for all their credit lines. So a year and a half worth of part-time work until we opened the building. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that part-time and then I worked on golf courses so I could golf for free the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of my days, the rest of the time. So I was a little golf nerd. Yeah. And got into fighting after that. Well, I had natural progression, don't you think? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean that little ball Casino had me executive. so that little ball had me so frustrated I needed to go punch somebody in the face. <laughs> exactly. Um I met John Lewis and he had one of the first MMA gyms out here and he mm -hmm. fought for the UFC. He was a UFC champ and um he was great and he was like, you know, why don't you come train with us? So I started out doing their strength and conditioning, their jujitsu, um, some boxing and um I trained there for over a year. Oh, really? Yeah. Before, yeah, before I came over to Couture's, I was mm -hmm. at uh, John Lewis's place. Yeah, he was great. Very uh, laid inspiring, back, nice laid guy, back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very positive. So I loved that. And then it was a, a while after that, maybe six months later, when Randy and Chuck were out here shooting the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. Randy and Chuck Liddell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, 
<clears throat> when he was in town and not at the UFC training center, he would come over to John Lewis's and, and do some training. And I kept bumping into him at a bunch of events all over town. And John Lewis had gotten into promotions, club promotions. Right. So he would invite me, he would invite Randy and Chuck. And we were just always the same place together, you know, and Dana, I had known Dana and the Fertitas through the Dana casino White. business. Yeah. Yep. So, um, it's kind of a small circle. Vegas was still fairly small back then. I mean, it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. But, you know, you see each other all over town. And I'm like, oh, you again. You know, so eventually Randy asked me to lunch and we had a four hour lunch and that was it. And that's all she wrote. Yeah, we were inseparable <laughs> from that moment on. <laughs> so what's next for you, Kimmy? What, I mean, right now you're, uh, you're, you've got your partnership with the CBD company, but you're not active in the day-to-day -day running of that or anything no, like I that. Am. Oh, are you? Yeah, I run it by myself. Oh, okay, okay. I, I thought you were uh, kind of taking a, uh, a breather from that. Well, I my partner, we have a hemp farm, we have a CBD company, we have a spa, we have a smoke shop, and then our parent company. And so I head up all that stuff, but I recently took my name off the smoke shop. It never really got open because of COVID. Right. Um, the spa, we have subleased to somebody else running that. So I'm currently trying to get that transferred over to his name. Um, but I run the CBD company day to day. I'm a one man circus there. And then the hemp farm, I just don't go out there every day like I used to. They're going through a harvest right now. And then uh, I have my little side companies. We have a technology company. And then we broker these international deals with some of the people that I've known all over the world from my days as being mm -hmm. an executive for Steve Wynn. You know, I only worked with the richest people around the world. Right. I, I don't say that in a snotty way, but that was my job was to issue these high limit credit lines to some of the richest, you know, to the whales, guys, the whales, you know? Yeah. So I kept those relationships strong over the years and now they're finally coming around and starting to capitalize off That's of them. That's so cool. Yeah. Now on uh, the day to day thing, you, you say you're a one man band. I, very much a one-man band myself with almost everything that I do. And I really, at this point in my life, I really enjoy that the mm -hmm. most because it's the least amount of friction. It's a lot of work, but it's the least amount of friction. And I'm kind of, if it doesn't work, it's my fault. Mm -hmm. There's nobody else to blame. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that. Is that how you feel about it? Yeah. Because you've been involved in some big organizations and you've done some, you know, smaller ventures. And then now you're doing this on your own. Which do you prefer? Um, I mean, I don't mind this right now. I, uh, I'm a project girl. I love projects. When I built Extreme Couture, I liked seeing that empty warehouse that used to be a battery factory and seeing it from nothing to the gym that it is now. Um, I love me and Randy's home. I gutted it down to the concrete and I redid it and it was amazing. You know, I love projects like that. So this little company is cool. I'd rather be busier. You know, mm -hmm. it does fine. I have a big store that has, uh, in the Midwest, it has over a hundred stores and that's my biggest customer. Um, I did CBD. I started with horses and then I moved to dogs and people. And uh, so a lot of my customers are in the rodeo world. So it's are a little- dogs and people one category? <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Depends which guy you're talking about. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, so it's a little taste of home for me because it's all my friends in the rodeo world that are just down home, good salt of the earth people. So they'll call me, a, a lot of my distributors will call me for an order and I stay on the phone with them for an hour and a half just visiting and telling great stories. And just, you kind of get refreshed with people that are that solid and that great. So um, I enjoy it. You know, it's just, it's just me. So I'll run to the, to the well, it's not a store open to the public, but I'll run to the, to the office and meet people there sometimes and, I just make it very personal. 
this little business, my people that have been with me are consistent and order every month. And it, it, you it's know, it's kind of fun, isn't it? it? Yeah, it's fun because you you genu- genuinely see a difference in their life or their pet's life or their horse's life. Mm-hmm. And that's why we get stuck on the phone for an hour and a half. They tell me all their stories and the results have been great. So you feel like you're really helping people. I like that part of it. So going back to Colorado and through the whole divorce, going through the, uh, the whole MMA experience, where do you think you're at now in comparison to then? Do you think this has all been a journey to kind of get past a lot of your youth and a lot of those mm-hmm. issues that you grew up with? Has that been the number one motivator? Yeah, I think, you know, everybody needs to um, embrace their journey and, and learn along the way. I think, I think the worst thing that a person can do is stop learning. You know, they think because they graduated high school or got out of college that they're done learning. Kind of the same thing in a relationship, right? They think, oh, I got them now. We got married. I got them now. Let's stop learning about each other. And it's mm-hmm. actually supposed to be the opposite. You're, you're never supposed to stop learning. So I love just educating myself on different things. And I think the things that I did have to overcome as all of us do in our youth, uh, fighting, like I said, was such a small piece that was so enormous in my life for getting me over those humps to prepare me for what's going on in the future. And um, I look back and I go, it was a necessary evil um, at the time that I left to marry Randy and uh, go down the MMA path. I was supposed to go over to Macau, China, and open up uh, win over there for Steve Wynn. I had signed up for a year. So it was getting down to the wire where I was going to have to make that move and head over there. And that's when me and Randy decided to get married and I stayed here. So you stop and think about little forks in the road like that. And you're like, mm-hmm. wow, I could have been living in China for a year doing marketing. Where would I be right now? Instead, I go this way. I take a sharp left turn and I go down the <laughs> MMA journey. And, um, you know, you, you, you got to stop and think like, you know, you're not in control. Things happen for a reason and they were a necessary evil in order to get past certain things and prepare you for whatever he has planned next for you. So I keep a very open mind. Um, I don't have my heart set on anything. That's kind of the difference with me is I'm not stuck on anything. I have yeah. no vices. I don't get stuck on anything. Whatever comes my way, I take full advantage of every opportunity and, um, I've had really good luck with that. Um, and I'm just not set in my ways. I'm very, very open. You know, I, I never thought I would have been part of a CBD company, but that opportunity came and then, you know, now, I'm, opportunity. now I'm pretty big out here in, in that whole world. Mm-hmm. So, Theoretical question. Mm-hmm. I'm going to close with this. Let's just say you came across a ridiculous amount of money. What would you do with it? I would buy probably a little ranch again, whether it was a big ranch in Colorado or maybe a smaller piece of property somewhere else. I think I want my horses again. I love my animals. I got five dogs right now that are my life. They're (laughs) one German Shepherd and four Belgian Malawas. And and people that have Belgian Malawas know that you don't do anything but take care of your Belgian Malawas. (laughs) 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 They run your life. Um, and then probably help out all the people who have supported me through this enormously public, painful journey that I've been on. You know, it's you take care of people for so long, and then when the chips are down, and you know everybody wants to ride in the limo, the party bus to the right. party with you, but when when things aren't so fun and things aren't in the spotlight and money's not flowing and you're not covering the bill at every restaurant and club that you go to, it's amazing and frustrating to see how many people don't even call to check on you. You know, none of those people are around. But you know what? Honestly, those have been the most illuminating 
points in my life because what you do find out is you find out who your real friends are mm-hmm. and who your real family is. Mm-hmm. And, and it might only be one or two people, but that's the one or two that you can go through the rest of your life with. Yeah, I'm very much about real situations and real people and genuine feelings. If you're a friend of mine, you know, we're going to the grave being friends. Like, I will literally do anything. I'm one of those people that always answers my phone no matter what I'm doing. And you could call me at three in the morning and not know where you're at and I'll find you. I'm going to come get you. Um, It's very hard to find people that are like that. People Mm -hmm. are so selfish. And um, so I would just, I'm interested in taking care of, my family's not very big, taking care of some of my family members and the people that have supported me, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and. And it's been rough even being my friend over some of those years. I mean, everything's all good now, but you really want to take care of those people that need help and, uh, and love you just the way you are, screwed up or not. <laughs> and with that, Kimmy, we're going to close. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, everybody. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, Kimmy, how do they reach out to you? Can they follow you on Instagram or what's the best way? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Kimmy Couture, uh, K-I-M-I-C-O-U-T-U-R-E. And I'll put a link in the description. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. I've been here for part of this journey it's been a pretty amazing journey and you should be really proud of yourself you've done a lot of great things thanks again for listening everybody we'll be back in a couple days with another episode god bless